I want us to look tonight at a super familiar uh, Bible story, and it's not really a Christmas one. It's about the prodigal son, or that's what it's usually known as. But uh, I'm making kind of a, a, an interesting promise on the opening slide of the Promethean board, which I'll go to here. And so, aligning our hearts with Father's heart of mercy, the little tagline I put on the bottom of it, which, which uh, I believe is possible, and what we're going to talk about is how to end 2020 in uninterrupted intimacy with your Heavenly Father. And so, uh, Father, I think that that is a promise that you've given us, is the ability to walk with you that way. And so I thank you for that. I thank you for that. And as we look into the, the story that Jesus told, that we call the story of the prodigal son, but really reveals other hearts as well. It's the story of your heart. I ask that you would just open us up to consider it, Lord. And so, uh, I've had some stuff on my mind in the last little seasons, and I've shared most of it with you guys. Uh, we've worked through it. I know uh, last week we were on Zoom only because of the weather. It was, I don't know that it was worse than this, probably. It's, it, yeah, it was worse than this. It was worse than this, even though it was kind of tough on some of us coming down. But um, so we were online Zoom only, and I had a slide toward the end of the presentation, and I was talking about, about judgment and uh it was at the end of John uh, chapter 8 after the story of Jesus' encounter when they brought the woman caught in adultery before the temple. And I know I tagged on the end of the title, Just Don't Judge. And I've had some fantastic conversations this week about that <laughs> with a number of people. And I understood after the fact, thinking about it, that I might have uh, erred on the side of, of sort of simplicity or naivete. Uh, but but the, the the thing that the phrase came from in the title was what it said in the verse, what Jesus said. He said, uh, you know, you judge according to the flesh, but I judge no one. And now I, I was reminded of the fact that Jesus earlier had said that the Father judges no one, but has surrendered all judgment to the Son. And so it was kind of a word math problem in my head and in my heart that if the Father judges no one and Jesus judges no one, then Perhaps we should judge no one. And I promised, for those of you that are tired of hearing me go on and on about this, I promised that this is the last time this year I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> now, I can keep that promise, I'm pretty sure, uh, by just showing a little bit of restraint on Tuesday night. And uh, But I do think it, it, it probably doesn't need to keep being said, per se, but the context that it's important for us in is, is important. And it does have to do with aligning our heart with the Father. So I felt like this, uh, this story in Luke 15 about the prodigal son is, is going to be a good place to have as a reference for the alignment of our heart. So if you don't mind, if you got your Bible turned there, I'm going to be working off the screen there out of uh, David Bentley Hart's translation. He keeps me sort of fresh. 15.10 says this, and this is a line that follows the various parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin. 
Thus I tell you, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner changing his heart. Some translations will say one sinner who repents. But the phrase that caught me on this one is there's joy in the presence of God's angels. And as I was reading it, and then immediately following this is the story about the father receiving the prodigal son, I thought, huh. And I went back, I looked at best I could at the Greek, and it seems like this is a pretty good translation. Uh, there is joy in the presence of God's angels. What's that mean? Was it just floating there in the, in the atmosphere, in the presence of God's angels? Or was that joy in somebody? And I think that joy was in God. I think that's what the inference is here. Is that by story after story, Jesus, because remember, he came to reveal God, to reveal Yahweh as Father in a way that he hadn't really been revealed. And he was over and over again doing that to people. So he's telling these stories uh, to, to disciples and Jewish uh, disciples that were there. And he says, there's joy in the presence of God's angels. And I think that he was alluding to the Father because then he immediately jumped in to this next story. So we're just going to walk through it. I don't think it'll take a super long time. I know the slides have a lot of stuff on them. but uh, Pardon me? I don't know. I can look it up, though, before the end of the night. Um, Sinner, what would it be? Yeah, okay, I'll have to look that up. And he said, a certain man had two sons. So this is 15, 11 through 16. And the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of the property falling to me. And he, the father, divided his living between them. Between who? Between the two sons, right? And not many days later, the younger son, having collected everything, departed for a far country. Now, this is really interesting because his story is told so succinctly, you know, and it's a complicated story in a way. Now many days later, the younger son, having collected everything, departed for a far country and dissipated his property by living prodigally. I'd never heard the word prodigally before, but I think it's a cool word. I'll use it a lot now in a sentence. When he had spent everything, a severe famine spread throughout that country, and he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of that country's citizens, and he sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the carob pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. And I don't have a lot of detail, as I just testified by not being able to answer Richard's question. I don't have a lot of detail that I want to dig into on on this particular story, because we all know about it. We know that he got his inheritance. We know there's aspects of that that was kind of insulting to his family. We know that his father seemed to capitulate and, and, and divide up his living among the two brothers so that there was equity there. And uh, and we know later that the father never lost sight of him in his heart. Hamertoise. Okay, it's just the regular word for sin. A person who sins. Hamertoise. Yeah, it's okay. Ronnie looked it up for him. Thanks, Ronnie. <laughs> All right, next section. And coming to himself, we also know about that. That's That's part of repentance, you know, change of mind. And coming to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired men are overflowing with bread? So let me ask you a question. Jesus just said in the verse before starting the story that there's joy in the presence of God's angels in heaven over one sinner who has a change of heart. 
Is this what he was talking about? We'll just see. And coming to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired men are overflowing with bread? But I am here perishing from famine. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he rose and he went to his own father. Now let me ask you a question about that just for a second, because it's worth thinking about a little bit. That sounds sincere to me. The way it's told in the story. I don't get any hint that the son, that Jesus was telling this story trying to leave the impression that the change of heart for this son was not sincere. Does it seem that way to you guys? It feels sincere. Yeah, 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 for sure. Revealed exactly what he was thinking, I think. But the heartfelt part of it, and it, you could tell it was, it was partially sincere too. I mean, I, I, an additional bit of evidence that it was sincere was that he left that country and went back home. You know, so he's going, so I'm no longer worthy. I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he rose and he went to his own father. And while he was yet far away, his father saw him. And he was inwardly moved with pity and ran and fell upon his neck and kissed him fervently. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the slaves, one translation I was reading, I think uh, Brian Simmons in the in the Passion said, the father interrupted him. And there is that sense a little bit here. He didn't let him finish his whole spiel, you know. Uh, but the father said to the slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and place a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us sit and have good cheer. Because this son of mine was dead and has come to life again was lost and has been found, and they began to celebrate. So familiar story. The father's there. Uh, I had a, a study on Thursday that I have every two weeks with, uh, led by a guy named Fount Schultz. He's an older gentleman, lives in the Carolinas. And he has a painting by this Dutch guy about the return of the prodigal. I can't remember the guy's name. wish I could. But if you ever get a chance to look at it, it's, a, it's an old classic uh, painting from... Uh, the Reformation era, and it's about the prodigal son. Isn't it Rembrandt? No, I don't think it's Rembrandt. I think it's another artist. But anyhow, it's got two different hands, and you can see in 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 the corners of the room are the Holy Spirit and uh, the, the Trinity. But there's two different hands. There's a mother's hand and a father's. It's really a beautiful painting. Yes, Ronnie. So I'm noticing something, and I hope I don't ruin your story. Okay, I'll try not to let you. <laughs> so interrupt me if you need to. <laughs> I will. The son is saying, I've sinned, so therefore I'm out. And the father's saying, I never said you were out, you're my son. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I think the conclusion that the son drew was natural, but it, it, it wasn't accurate. Yeah, it wasn't accurate. I would agree with that. Okay? Um, and then the father's reaction seems sincere as well, because uh, he, he cut him off and, and then did everything necessary to try to affirm his sonship. So here's the, here's the last section of it. But his older bro- uh, son was in the field. His older son was in the field. And he came... Oh, and this is an interesting thing. I, I, I saw this in David Bentley Hart's translation, and I hadn't seen it in some of the other ones. Uh, I've, I've heard this story told a lot of times, and, and I've preached it and told it and taught it, that 
about the older brother, the older brother. And I even put that in my title. And that's just kind of an indication that that's ingrained in me. But what the word actually seems to say is the older son. And so the story that Jesus told was relating to the two sons as they relate to the father. Not as I was thinking about it. And I think there's an allusion to the brother and so on down at the bottom. So I'm not saying that's not important. But I think Jesus was talking about these two boys as to how they related to their father and the father, how he related to them. And so I'm going to have to dig that up and, and dig in deeper that way. That's, yeah, is it Rembrandt? Oh, okay. That's Rembrandt. I thought there was another a Dutch guy that did it. Anyway, that's the painting. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, if I'd known it was that easy to find, I'd have had it up on the Promethean board. <laughs> All right. But his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. And calling one of the servants over, he asked what all this might be. And he told them that your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has got him back in good health. But in his response, he was indignant, and did not wish to go in. And his father came out and pleaded with him, but in reply, he said to the father, look, For so many years I am slaving for you, and I have never disobeyed a command of yours. And you never gave me a goat so that I could make merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came, he who has devoured your livelihood with whores, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Child, you are always with me, and all things, all my things are yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and came to life and was lost and he's been found. So I was looking and I I thought, wow, this is part of the reply that I want us to look at from the older son. And you never gave me a goat so that I could make merry with my friends in contrast to hearing about and seeing the the fatted calf party that's going on for the son. So let me ask you a question real quick. Is that true? The older son thought it was true. The older son thought it was true. I don't know. Here's the truth. This is back to the first thing. Verse 11. And he said, Jesus said, as he's telling the story, a certain man had two sons. This is the story we're talking about, right? And the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of the property falling to me. And he divided his living between them. So I don't think that the perception or the accusation that the older son made was true. But but that's how it felt to him. I think that's true. I think it seemed that way to him. But the fact of the matter is, he was also given an equal portion And he continued to stay there and be a part of the family's lot as a whole. Because the father said, all that I have, I've given you. In reply, he said to his father, look, for so many years I'm slaving for you and I have never disobeyed a command of yours. And you never gave me a goat so that I could make merry with my friends. But he had. When he divided up the spoil before the young guy left, the young brother left, he gave him as much as he gave the young brother. Now, maybe he didn't give him a goat, but he had access to goats if goats were there. And he could have certainly taken 
whatever his half of the father's wealth was and bought his own fatted calf if he'd wanted. But when this son came, he would devour your livelihood with whores. You killed him. And then he said, child, you are always with me. And all my things are yours. Now, I want to look at, at, at this. So one of the questions that came up a couple of times this week, uh, because I had been talking about how, and, and you know, obviously the context of this is everything that's going on in our country, the political upheaval, uh, I'm still, I'm still standing and stuck on, uh, on the revelation that the Lord gave me of Trump's second inauguration. And when you talk about it, it sounds, you know, more and more, more and more like, uh, wow, you're living in a fantasy world. But I don't think so. I mean, I don't because, because I saw something. I got my teeth in it and I'm hanging in there, you know, and, and I hear a lot of other people that are standing and it's really cool. I see a lot of people praying. Uh, I, I, I tune in every chance I get to Dutch's daily thing, and he has a lot of interesting Dutch sheets on that given 15. Uh, there's still tons of prophetic words out there. It can seem discouraging because, you, uh, especially, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but when YouTube started removing videos that suggested or talked about any potential fraud, uh, a bunch of the stuff on my feed went away. <laughs> and so now I see movie clips and uh, classical guitarist coming on, and uh, puppy videos, because those classical guitarists and the puppy videos were the things I used to kind of calm down during the rest of the stuff. So fortunately, they're still there. But um, I'm going to back up. I think I'm going to back up. There we go. I think... Oh, there we go. I think that the young guy, the reason this story jumped out at me is it illustrated the answer to the question that I had been being asked uh, about why are you talking about this judgment thing and not judging? And why would you, why would you put it so universally and so simply, just don't judge? And I think it's because... it. it I think it's because of the price that it has to extract from us. I think if we, if we hesitate or fail to align our hearts with God, it's hard. Um, we can be in real trouble. Because like this young guy, we will be living in a situation where we are surrounded by possession by resource and by blessing, where we are surrounded by love and we're not going to see it. And I think he was sincere when he said, you never gave me a goat. But the father had. And even if it hadn't taken the exact form of, here, son, here's a goat to go party with your buddies, he was still blind to the resource. And I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be blind to that resource. Um, so I looked at another passage and this is back in Luke earlier, and uh, it, it's it's like Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, Beatitudes and so on. But love your enemies and do good, and lend without despairing of it, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High God, because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. So become compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Do not judge, 
and you surely shall not be judged. And do not condemn, and you surely shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. So I'm going to appeal in your mind and in your heart for a second to to three of those instances of Scripture. One is where Jesus says that the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. And the one that said, well, maybe I might do four, because none of them just came to mind. One where uh, you judge after the flesh, but I judge no one. Jesus said that. We studied the thing in John not too long ago, where it says that uh, the Father did not send the Son to judge the cosmos, but that the cosmos through him would be saved. And we made a big deal about the fact that cosmos is people and things and all that stuff in context. Um, and then we had that, that message just before Thanksgiving where we listened to Paul say that because uh, I have come to the conclusion that one died, therefore all died, that we no longer regard any man according to the flesh. And then it was a, a logical conclusion that, that the gospel was described as God was in Christ reconciling the cosmos to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Okay? So, there is a pretty strong case that judgment doesn't flow from God the way we think. That the wrathful, indignant, front of mind thing. Yes, Ronnie? Since we're talking so much about judging, could you define it? I, I'm going to define what it's not, or what we don't have to believe. Uh, the basic Me, word meaning, for judgment means to align, or to shed light, to, to put in light. And the, the best definition of judgment would probably be the one in John chapter 3, that this is judgment, that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. But, so, yes, I will define it by re-quoting that. But I, this is judgment, that light has come into the world and that men love darkness rather than light uh, because their deeds are evil and they don't want their deeds exposed. It's commonly defined as condemnation or condemning right. in this status rather than discerning. Meaning and, and that's why I have this verse up here because it's, it's translated two different ways. Uh, the word, and do not judge and surely you will not be judged, is the word crisis. And, and it is literally the word where we get a crisis. In other words, when... When judgment is rendered that way, it creates a crisis of understanding around those circumstances. That's what the light does. Condemned is, some, is a different word. It's a word which, which means to... Um, well, the one definition of judgment that leaned into that condemnation was to set a judgment against. But it's the setting against that's the condemnation. The judgment is the light that shines on the thing. And, uh, and so judgment is the light exposing darkness. It's also the light exposing good stuff. But we don't usually think of it in those terms because we usually associate it with condemnation. But there's going to be a judgment rendered for deeds, both good and bad. And you're not going to be condemned for your good deeds. And I don't actually think you'll be condemned for your bad deeds either. But you're definitely not going to be condemned for your good deeds. That wouldn't make any sense. So, Sonny? Well, it just seems <clears throat> how how we perceive judgment. It's kind of like going down the road on Cimarron. You come to I-25, and there's the homeless guys asking for money. Mm -hmm. You know, I found this in myself the other day. I looked at him, 
and withheld. I felt like withheld holding because, well, obviously he's getting what he deserved. The choices in his life. I had to go correct myself, like, because the gift can't come through judgment. Even if I handed him money, the heart, it wasn't a gift. So judgment follows up gifting, and I think that's the same with God himself, is if he's in judgment, the gifting from his heart to us of relational life would only come through transaction and not heart. So it binds things up personally. Mm -hmm. So do you think, stay there for a second, do you think that that what I'm suggesting we can learn from the older son is is perhaps that, that there was some kind of judgment that he was still rendering and it actually blinded him all those years to the resource that had been given him or the resource that he had to give himself. Yeah, I mean, definitely when the story progressed where he came home, that judgment, he couldn't feel the father's heart. That judgment bound him up because that guy, my brother, you know, went out and squandered and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And so it bound him up from understanding the father's heart of why he gave him the goat initially, the joy. So yeah. it just yeah. binds up. I think so. I think so. And so that's why I think this is kind of important because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to reduce our, 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 reduce or expand. I don't know which it is. Our concept of, of judging and not judging to something that's useful, something that's practical and, and not something that's just theoretical, all A, and not something that's condemning in any way. And I really don't want anybody to think I'm trying to like browbeat us or myself. I'm not. Uh, but these things are associated here. So let me read this again. Love your enemies and do good and lend without despairing of it. And your reward will be great. Now, some of these things don't make sense. It generally doesn't make sense in most horizontal reference points, most social reference points, to love your enemy. Because your enemy is trying to do you harm. That's what defines them as your enemy. Okay. Uh, but nevertheless, it says that. Jesus said that. And do good and lend without despairing of it. And if you expand on both sides of this verse, it talks about uh, if you only lend expecting to get back what you lend, what's the difference between you and, and uh, anybody in the world? You know, So that doesn't make any sense either. And I'm not trying to create a doctrine where, where we loan money to people and, it, and don't expect them to pay it back. Um, but it says... That if you, you know, it says, love your enemies and do good and lend without despairing of it. In other words, act in this way that seems foolish or contrary to profitable norms, contrary to even goodness. Uh, I mean, what's good? You know, loving your enemies, how can it be good? But it says, you will be sons of the Most High. Because there is something about Him that is like that. Because He is kind to the ungrateful. And if there's anything that really ticks me off, it is an ungrateful person. Because I can understand it if a person is controlled by fear. I can understand it if a person is controlled by ignorance. But if a person has such a hole in their character that they can't even be grateful when something nice is given to them or done to them, I am ready to judge them at the drop of a hat. Because it doesn't cost you anything 
to be grateful. So that's one of my pet peeves. Pet peeves are probably things that say more about us than they do about the peeve. I think so. I think for me, I, th- I think it feels like one. Yeah, it feels like one. Uh, but but this is the nature of the father because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, or the evil. The word's poneros. I knew you would ask, Ronnie. It's the it's the one that means work. You know, enslaved to work. Um, so then he says, become compassionate, just as your father is compassionate. Now, the story of the, of, the, of the father receiving the son back was a very compassionate thing. You could even see the compassion coming out for the older son because he pleaded with him. He came out. You know, and I, and I did some studying about the culture thing one time and, and uh, saw it again just as I was preparing for this. And it was an insult to not go in the party for sure. It was defaming of the family and so on in that culture. But that didn't get, I didn't get the impression the father was reacting to being offended. He was pleading with his son, come in, because he made a case. Your brother's dead, and now he's back. We need to celebrate him. We need to celebrate him. So become compassionate, just as your father's compassionate. And then it just goes into this thing, and this is what separates it in my mind, Ronnie. And I don't fully know how to apply it, but uh, do not judge, and you surely shall not be judged. And do not condemn, and you surely shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. So I could understand how forgiveness is sort of the positive side of not judging or not condemning, but there is a distinction between the idea of condemning or setting, you know, like, uh, okay, this is the final judgment rendered against you. This is who you are. This is what you are. All right? That kind of thing, I think, is more the... And that you're deserving of, whatever the case is. Um, all right, so there's this case to be made for that. There's the ones I talked about. Uh, I think the reason that I'm motivated to, to take one more run at this before the holidays and, and before the end of this really interesting, interesting year is most of the... Most of the time when we're tempted to judge someone, and, uh, and I am going to talk a little bit about what it's not in just a second. Most of the time when we're tempted to judge someone, we really can't have much of an influence over them because we're not in relationship with them, especially in, in this kind of situation, political, social, economic situations, uh, like uh, Governor uh, Whitmer, is that her name? Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan. You know, I don't like her, but I don't live in Michigan, <laughs> so I can't vote or not vote for her. Uh, I used to live in California, and I don't care that much for Newsom either, but I, I, I can't do anything. I could lobby my family that still lives there and ask them if they've signed the petition for recall, and I, I hope I, that might even be a good idea now that I think about it, but, uh, and I do, I do hope that that some of these folks get recalled and stuff. But the reality is, I don't have a lot that I can do about that. But I do have the ability, I think, as I'm being warned against right here, I have the ability to exercise and release a judgment that's going to have zero effect except to open me to having a judgment come back on me somehow. And I don't even know how. 
I don't, I don't know how. I doubt the judgment's going to come from Michigan if I render a judgment on the governor of Michigan. But it says, don't judge and surely you'll not be judged. Don't condemn and surely you'll not be condemned. You know, forgiven you again. This reciprocal thing. And so my, my, my thought is, our hearts are precious real estate. Our mind is a precious resource. Let's not create vulnerability there that's not necessary. Especially when it is, is about something that isn't going to have an effect. Uh, one of the conversations I was in, Philippians came up about if there's anything noble or anything praiseworthy, anything of good report, pure, think on these things. That's a good bit of advice. Because then it says that peace will guard your heart. And uh, at one point this week, I thought back to a guy a long time ago. When I first took over here, there was a gentleman. I, I do not remember his name. He and his wife were here. Bev, you'd remember him. But he watched the news all the time. And he was like, and it's so funny now because there was like nothing going on compared to what's going on now. But he was just in turmoil all the time. Every day, he would go there, he would feed himself and with, with, with the news. And he was just like super duper agitated. He was angry with his wife. He was angry with the world. And, and even then, I was trying to say, you know, why don't you watch a little less news? Because you're giving away a lot of time and energy to stuff that you can't have any influence over and it's just eating you up. And so uh, that's one reason. But now I do want to state something, though, that also has been a part of the conversations this week, which is uh, about, about being passive or being neutral uh, uh, or, or not caring about important things or not recognizing that evil needs to be resisted and all this kind of stuff. And I've had, it, I've had different elements of it, and it's all been fantastic. It's really been very thought-provoking. And so I wanted, to, I wanted to reinforce the fact that Jesus said, I judge no one. When he said that, he said, even if I did judge, it would be righteous. But he said, I judge no one. But he's also the same one at the end of Matthew that said to the Pharisees, you are like whitewashed sepulchers full of dead men's bones. He's the same one that when the Pharisees came to him and were kind of giving him a hard time in John 5, he said, look, you have never heard the Father's voice. And you've never seen his form. And you don't know him. In another place, and I don't remember the scripture reference, but it was one I looked up earlier this week. They said to, or Jesus said to them, uh, you say that if you had been alive when Israel was killing the prophets, you wouldn't have done it. But all that does is confirm the fact that you're the children of the prophet killers. <laughs> and so the thing I want to say about that, and it's, it's a little bit about the definition, and it's why, I, it's why I would like us to take more seriously the affirmative definition that, that was given in John chapter 3, that this is judgment. Light has come in the world, and men love Darkness rather than light. Because 
even though I don't know what that means fully, by any stretch of the imagination, or even partially, maybe. Maybe I partially know a little bit. But, but because something is stated clearly and hard to understand doesn't mean that I should dismiss it in favor of something that feels more like I understand it, which is a con- condemnation type of judgment. Um, so what judgment, the judgment that Jesus doesn't do doesn't include sticking his head in the sand when he's confronted with unrighteousness. It doesn't include not being able to bring up a negative truth in the most direct method you could. Another place I remember that Jesus said, He said, you travel across the sea to make a man ten times uh, the... The condemn, to proselyte a man and become ten times the son of the devil that you are. So, if that's not judging, that takes away the fear that if we say, alright, well we're just not going to judge. That we have to somehow be a namby-pamby, roll over, not confront unrighteousness, not come up against evil. And I don't really have the answers, guys, but I, 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 I think one of the better things that came out of conversation, uh, and, and I can attribute it to the person if they would like, but we were talking about uh, particular political figures. And, and it was like, what about? And then there was a, a political figure named. And it's a political figure that I have, like, really hardly any respect for. Because second to a person who isn't able to show gratitude when somebody does something nice to them, is somebody who is just overtly hypocritical. And they're so blind to it that they're not even ashamed to reveal it publicly anymore. And it's like they'll lobby for restrictions and and uh, all this kind of stuff on businesses, and then when they need a haircut, <laughs> they'll go get one without a mask. That's disgusting. And then they use the power of their public uh, office and persona to persecute the person that owns that business and was trying to serve them. I think that deserves uh, something horrible in response. But, but, as we were talking, the thing came out in the conversation, but you know, I I still pray for them. And I said, that's what I'm talking about. Make room in our hearts without compromising the truth. Make room in our hearts like the Father did for the prodigal to come home. To come to himself. The story about what's in the father's heart in the story of the prodigal son is that he wanted his sons, both of them. Vicki. So my thought, or my question, my thought, <laughs> we can judge, I think, but we can't consign people over to something. In other words, 
if I'm if I'm thinking about somebody, I can't that I you know I've judged because I think that their you know platform or what they say is evil or wicked or whatever. Um, if I can sign them somewhere, like well, they're going to hell, or um, I, I I just can't even pray for that person, then I would I would think that that is to me that would be the thing that's being said not to do there. The consigning, but the judging, um, my, I mean, I don't know how we can't judge. Yeah. And so when it says, and do not judge and you shall surely not be judged, I just kind of get the impression that, that like with the elder son, he consigned the father as being indifferent and not a good father. And yet he was a good father. He was a good father to both boys. Um, so to me, you know, and when we're, when we're talking about this, to kind of wrap my mind around it anyway, is not to have this idea that I can't judge, but I kind of feel like I can't consign somebody. I can't just place them outside or in hell or, you know, whatever. But I can look at them and say, that right there is wicked. And you'll always be that way. Yeah, that would be consigning them. Like, like what? God can't break in and give them a vision or send somebody to them. So I think it's the consigning thing that I don't like about judgment. Okay, so let me tell you what. I, I agree with that. I mean, a lot. I, I, and I would love to hear anybody else on Zoom or in the room's opinion uh, right now. And and you won't be judged for it. I guarantee you that. because Because this is a hard thing to wrestle through. This is a hard thing. Yeah, Alan? One of the things that, um, that God's pointed out to me is that when um, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, when that, when that man, that's, that fellow was having it off with his father's wife, Paul said to deliver him under Satan. Now, why? Because you got to, the rest of it was deliver him under Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Amen. So that in the day of our Lord Jesus, their spirit will be saved. And so the end point is always, has to be for us, is that they come to relationship with the, with, with the Father through Christ. So it, it, it's like driving down the street these days, and, you, and in Australia especially it's good, where you've got the road rage and people are upset and, and they do the royal wave at you. Um, you... It, 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 I used to, years ago, I used to get upset. And now I just say, Father, you put them there. I pray a blessing on them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Praise God. <laughs> and, and, and so it is, it's coming in because we don't know what, what Father's showing me. We don't know their circumstances. We don't know their life. We know nothing about them, really. It's like the politicians. We don't know what they've been through. But, but it's God's keeps on pointing me is that it's it's giving them over so that in the day of judgment their spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus their spirit may be saved. Now let me uh, I think that's a brilliant point you brought up and there's also a fascinating uh, in my understanding in the scripture there's a fascinating postscript to that story because that's in First Corinthians where Paul said deliver that one over Satan. Now so uh, I don't think Paul was counseling them to do what Jesus said not to do. So we really need to struggle a little bit in understanding 
this word judgment. What what are we not supposed to do and what are we supposed to do? Because, you know, we're supposed to render righteous judgments as well. But if you keep in mind, it's not just that that stuff can manifest positively at the end of the age. Because in 2 Corinthians, Paul also writes back and said, you were zealous to follow what I said. And your punishment is enough. Because the guy repented, apparently. And so I think that 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 is a beautiful illustration of how they, how the Apostle Paul and the Corinthians worked out this admonition by Jesus somehow. And that apparently turning him over to Satan wasn't a judgment (laughs) because it was purposeful for redemption and it actually happened. There's a testimony that it happened. So if I understand 2 Corinthians and what it says about that right, that's an example of that. And, and, and this is a great illustration or maybe a great time for me to tell you why am I giving, like, say, one last shot at this? Because we are confronted with things that have the capacity to, to pull our hearts away from peace in the name of justice and righteousness. And almost everybody in this room is probably pretty good at resisting having our hearts pulled away from peace in the name of hatred and lust and corruption. I don't think you guys can be bought off with a couple hundred bucks. I don't think you guys, especially you guys, can just have some good-looking girl batter eyes at you and everything falls apart. I mean, we're, we're, we're more than that in Christ right now. But I worry that we're not more than that temptation to, to, to open ourselves to the retribution of judgment and to, and to make a judgment that isn't like the Father would make. Now, apparently this one that Alan brought up is like the Father made because it brought about the fruit of repentance. So, Ronnie? I believe there's a scripture... A little closer. I believe there's a scripture attributed to Jesus or you'll tell me if it's not. Um, where it says, judge not or you will be judged, for with the measure you judge, so it shall be measured out to you. Mm-hmm. And I've interpreted that or understood that to mean I could judge if I'm willing to be judged by the same standard. And that seemed to come out of the mouth of Jesus. Okay, so And so it seems that... In this place, in that place, he is saying it's okay to judge. Just realize what you're doing. But, and are so you here's willing? what I, here's what I would ask. The, as I've thought the same thing. Okay. I would ask, why would you want to do that? Like, create a scenario where that's worth it. If someone's about to kill someone, yeah, and I'm saying that's a bad thing for you to do, you probably don't want to do that. I would expect them to do the same if I was just about to do someone. So, okay, but that's, that, that, that would be different. That would be like uh, treating someone like you want them to treat you. Closer to, I think, an illustration that would match your point is if you see someone trying to kill somebody and you kill the person trying to kill them, you have rendered a permanent judgment. You set something permanent against that person that tried to kill them. And, and let God sort it out. And it might be worth it to have <laughs> then that judgment coming against you. That's legit. I could see yeah. that. I could see that. Okay. I well, feel that way about somebody breaks into my house. 
to try to do harm to Vicki or me. See, I'm not advocating for passivity. I'm not advocating that we can't call uh, a whitewashed sepulcher a whitewashed sepulcher. And I'm not advocating that, that we are, that we don't define people as enemies as long as we can love our enemies. Because if you, okay, go ahead. Uh, this is super simplistic, but I've always just based on the scripture that says, um, you can judge a thing by its fruit. So I can look at what's, I can't judge a person, but mm -hmm. I can look at what's come out of their life. And so not to judge by its fruit, but also that we don't know the motivation of someone's heart. So for me, that's the, I can judge the fruit, but I can't even begin to anticipate the motivation of where people are coming from. Or maybe even the, the outcome that's possible of this process because it would depend on where you saw a person uh if 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 your first and only view of the prodigal son was through a window in a brothel you would have a view of him that would not be complete because it wouldn't include when he came to himself so that's that's good that's huh yes sterling so you said judgment is what again well, in John chapter 3, uh, when Jesus is teaching about it, he says, and uh, this is judgment, that light has come in the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So then the true judgment would be stepping into the light for those things to be revealed, correct? I think so. So if that's the case... I almost feel like this is a little bit of a weird take on it because we're we're assuming about it in the negative, kind of to what Ronnie's point was. The condemning thing, yeah. Versus feeling like, but wait a minute, those things will be revealed and judgment will occur in a way that it should, where mm -hmm. we will admit our sins to each other. Mm -hmm. So it, there's almost this weird positive sense to it, too. So. Well, and, and okay, so now what if that's, what if that's not far off? What if, and again, we're talking about a way of thinking, right? I'm, 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 I'm not encouraging us not to recognize evil when we see it. I'm not encouraging us not to speak up against corruption when we see it. I'm not encouraging us not to intervene if somebody's doing something, uh, ugly and it needs to stop. But I am talking about being a steward of our heart and mind to try to line up with that revelation. So what you just said, Sterling, uh, what if one of the dangers of us rendering a lower form of judgment that we have control over, setting something against somebody, condemning somebody, not taking into account the possibilities, and so on and so forth, the thing that, that caused Paul to tell the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, enough, enough, you were zealous, it's good, but it worked. What if it, what if it, what if we have the capacity to thrust ourselves in between that person and the actual light that the judgment is by trying to get them to answer to us instead of to him? Or the converse side is why it's okay for us, even though it seems kind of risky and passive, to love our enemies and to pray for those that despitefully use us, Jesus said in another version of that same sermon. Because light has come into the world. And no one is going to escape that judgment of that light. Alan? 
Um, to, to me, it is it's separating the the person from what they're doing. So I can hate what they do, but I don't hate them. I love them because they're they've got a created value. They they've been made by God to walk in freedom. So by putting them both together, you will judge them. You will bring condemnation on them. But by separating the deed from the person, from who God created them to be, that's when you can say, well, no, what you're doing is wrong, but mm-hmm. that's not why. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Riley, put the uh, Promethean board up just for a second on screen and, and uh, go ahead and pin it so that everybody can see it. But love your enemies. I think that's what you're saying, Alan. That's good enough. Everybody see it. Uh, is it, is, is that, is that kind of what, how does, what form does that take? And, and what I'm suggesting, the reason that I spent a few weeks on this, what I'm suggesting is that takes intentional thinking. It's not something that comes naturally. Earlier in, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus was kind of going back and forth in the Beatitudes, he said, you've heard it said, uh, you know, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. I say to you, Love your enemy and do good those that despitefully use you. And then, I don't know if it's there or someplace else, it says that by doing so, you'll pour uh, coal on their head. And that's uh, supposedly a cultural reference to, uh, to sending people with fire to keep them warm. But maybe it's also burning the top of their head. I don't know. Ronnie? What about the idea of really not agreeing with the thing they're doing but not, like Vicky's saying, I, I'm going to use a different word, but not making it so that's the way they're going to always be. Yeah. In other words, in my heart, I'm not saying you'll never change, but telling someone what you're doing is actually harmful to others as well as probably yourself, mm-hmm. and be willing to pray for them, that seems to be the doing good that I think I can do on my own. And I can also have hope that at some point they could be enlightened by God. Yeah, I would go so far as to say that if you don't retain the ability to recognize an evil when you see it and speak against it, uh-huh. because you misunderstand judgment or you, I mean, you know, God well, forbid. That, that's where I think the, yeah. the, the pushback is happening. Feeling like the suggestion to don't judge yeah. means not recognizing evil as being evil. Right. Now, here's what I think, though, that we have the potential of being guilty of. Is if, if, if we, if we uh, liken our recognition of evil in a given instance involving a person or a group of people or a party of people, whatever. If we reckon our, our, our recognition of that evil as this ball of energy I think the dangerous thing is being satisfied to the point of the dissipation of that energy by just declaring and recognizing and judging the negative. And I think that part of that energy needs to be retained, realizing that the end result is supposed to be loving them, speaking about it, and being there to embrace them through the change. Through, if, if there's a conviction. Now, 
Uh, and that gets harder and harder to do with um, the way communication happens nowadays. I mean, we see something on the news and, and group it to an attribute of people that we know people right. that fit into that, and then all of a sudden, that's the way it is. Whereas well, it, in yeah. early times, news would come maybe with somebody running into the town saying, hey, this happened, yeah. and people would talk about it, and you would physically be with people. So yeah. there's there's got to be, I think, there's got to be some modernization, modernization, what's right, making it more modern. Modernization and, of um, the concept. Yeah, bringing that in because it's not face-to-face all the time, especially with where we're headed, Internet and social mm-hmm. media and influence, whether we want to accept it or not, it's coming. It's here. It is. And so the ability... Um, this is... We talked... This, it seems like a rabbit trail, but a lot of these are, um, with the group versus the individual and treating them uniquely or especially when you're at an individual like I tried talking to my brother who's super uber the other way than me mm-hmm. and wanted to just work it out with him to make sure I didn't assume he felt certain ways it turned out he does <laughs> but I didn't know that for sure because I grouped him in with the group and I wanted to find out directly from him right and I still pray for him I still have expectations that I know he's doing what he feels right, but that's when I came to the understanding that he has different facts right. than I do. Now, see, I think that that's a totally different... I, I, but there's judgment involved in that. I, there is, there is. Okay, so my point about that point is one of the things I'm admonishing us not to give a lot of energy to is judging things we don't have any relationship with or influence over. Don't give the emotional ball of energy over to judging. That with you working with your brother, that's different in a way. What about me and say someone like Nancy Pelosi? What about her? What, what influence can you have? Do you have her address? Do you have her number? I don't, but I can pray for her, and I believe okay. that's a level of influence. Yeah, okay. Either that or I don't understand And if prayer. you do pray for her, I think you're doing that. You're loving your enemies. Okay. Then I'm okay. I think you are okay. Sonny. Well, I came up here with a thought, and now I'm like, what? But I, I was just thinking of, like, this whole thing with the election. You know, we want light to come, right? Expose, uh, make right. But I if, do, yes. But if we're not careful... It's almost like this, the disciples wanting to bring fire down from heaven mm-hmm. type situation where our hearts can get pretty hard when really we want the light that has come into the world to come because that light has a righteousness to it that gives life after the light shed, after people that are exposed. We want to leave them laying on the ground a lot of times you know they got to pay, mm-hmm. and and I I think God is more redemptive than that. Where those are real life pr- people, where He'd love to take that light and whatever deception that they've entered into, cast that out, bring the light, and you know turn that heart towards worshiping the truth, yeah. the, the light. And so I think 
for me, that's when I say, God, bring light. You know, it's, it's a light apart from my manipulating of it, maybe. Okay, cool, yeah. cool. Well, uh, all I do, I want to do, I really am going to let this go. I hope so. <laughs> but I, I would be less than honest as a pastor if I didn't say that this is something that deserves some thought and to be careful. Because we can easily create around ourselves or immerse ourselves in, especially if it's a social media culture. I mean, everybody here agrees, right, that the majority of back and forth kibitzing that goes on on Facebook is not relational and it's not very helpful. People have anonymous freedom to be destructive judgment renderers of, of people. Vicky shows me things every now and then where somebody chooses to wear something and somebody feels the liberty of coming on criticizing their, their outfit. Why? <clears throat> we live in a world where it's possible to separate the alignment of our heart from our fathers. And we should be careful not to do it, especially in times where there are righteous issues that attract our attention. Yes, Richard. I just think it's um, more complex than what we just don't judge. Yeah, it's, that, that's a pretty simplistic statement. I, I'm backing away from that. And, uh, I mean, we see Jesus turning the tables in the sanction, in the... But if, all right, so, but here's my point. And, 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 and God... Wait, wait, though. If Jesus said, I judge no one, was he doing something other than judging? Because you're saying that he judged that. He, no, I'm not. I'm saying there's, there's, there is a response to this that a lot of people call judgment. But are we wrong calling and it I, judgment? And I don't know if that is judgment. I so don't either. Saying, I don't think it is. So I, I, when we say judgment, I don't think we fully understand what all that means. And so when I see something uh, that is just ungodly, yeah. it, draw, it brings up emotions in me that makes me feel angry. And so I, I just, it's, it's a very difficult area, I think. And I just think that we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to check our hearts. I mean, if we, look, I believe that Amen. everyone has the Spirit within them. Therefore, I know that God is working upon every single individual on this planet. So, so I know God loves them. But I can't stand and just not, and just not have any emotion or, I just have this emotional response to their actions and what they're doing to other individuals and what they're doing to themselves. Yeah. Uh, so it's just, um, and and I absolutely agree. And I don't I don't think the goal should be to not have that emotional response. I think the goal should be to be a steward of it with the Lord. I I think that's I think the whole thing is walking with the Spirit. I mean, the Bible says walk on the Spirit, and as you walk on the Spirit, He'll guide you and direct you. I don't know how anything else to do but that. Yeah, and let Him as I'm walking and I'm doing something wrong, he confronts me with it. Or he uses you 
in a righteous way. To extend love, to pray, I mean... Right. Yeah. 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 So, I'll close with this. Uh, the answer is not passivity. The answer is not to stick your head in the sand and say, oh, there's nothing wrong out in the world. The answer is not to shut your eyes to the fruit of something. Those would all be counterproductive to what the Scripture teaches. The answer also is to realize that this is an area where we can become self-indulgent in the name of righteousness and lose connection, conscious connection, obedient connection with our Father. The older son, because of the judgment that he had rendered, not only lost touch with the blessing that he had been enjoying and living in all those years, he didn't go in. He withheld himself. It's possible, I'm telling you, it's possible if we're not careful to enter into the arena of this evil at its level and come away the worse for wear. I don't think it's an eternal condemnation type situation, but uh, we have to be careful. We have to be intentional and absolutely, by all means, exactly what you said, Richard. We have to stay conscious in this area of being with God and led by the Spirit and aligning ourselves particularly with the Father's heart. And so, I'm not going to be preaching at anybody for two weeks and there's going to be just an abysmal amount of potential news stories between now and 2021. So, be cautious. Yeah, go ahead. Also, we're the body of Christ, and we see each other, and we fellowship with one another, and we know each other. And when we see people, when we see a brother or sister crossing over that, I mean, you know someone that has a chip on their shoulder. You've, you've been around people that have, that have something going on. They have a, they, they just can't let it go. We know people in this, from the people that have left, have, have this thing that they just can't let it go. Yeah. We recognize that kind of stuff. And hopefully, we'll address it to one another. Amen. In love. Amen. Okay. All right. Yes, Sonny. Go up there so they can hear you on the screen. And then we'll, we'll wrap up. Judgment, but it's tied to levels of the Spirit doing things. In Jude, it says, Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing that they're wearing. And there's a couple, there, I think there's three levels of approaching, mm -hmm. but by spirit. Praise God. For, Praise the, God. for the person's benefit. All right. Uh, well, 
Lord, I might be guilty of making much ado about nothing. It may be that we all have within us, because we walk with you, the instinct necessary to negotiate this properly. Um, and if that's the case, I, I ask for mercy. Um, but Father, if there is a danger here that we need to be conscious of, we trust you to keep us that way. And a lot of us are going to be uh, traveling for the holidays and being with family or being with friends or being in new places. And I just ask that nothing of the political and the legal and the social turmoil that all of us are going to be exposed to over the next few weeks, that none of that would take a place of preeminence above our ability to hear your voice and to walk in the assurance of your heart. We could go wrong like the younger son did and in thinking that we have screwed up so badly that we've changed our our core relationship with the family. Or we could be blinded like the older son in his frustration and judgment and not see the things which were in his possession and all around him. I ask for deliverance from all of that. I ask that uh, we would hear your voice easily, that we would adopt your attitude towards things, and that we would be edified by knowing and experiencing our own ability to love our enemies. I thank you, Father, that when, after thinking of Nancy Pelosi, in whatever particulars, if we end up praying for her, I pray that we would recognize that this is a fruit of the, the intentionality and the consciousness that you are building in us to love our enemies. I pray that we'll all experience that over the next little while when we read news stories that come out and this was done and this was undone. This was rejected. And I pray that we come through this more like you. That we become compassionate more than we naturally are. And that we feel the need to set against people conclusions that we cannot possibly know are inevitable. I pray that we keep an open heart and an open mind to your redemptive work in people's lives. I pray that as with when Jesus had the rich young ruler come up to him, he was able to let him go, but he loved him. And I pray, Father, that we'll begin to experience as time rolls on in our lives, even beyond our lives, that by doing so, by loving our enemies, by withholding the wrong kinds of judgment, and by being forthright and true about what we see and know, that uh, your redemptive work can find its fullest possible expression in our lives and in my life. And I pray that as a result of that, we would be able to think on the things that are noble and praiseworthy and of good report and pure, 
and that our hearts over the next, especially these two weeks leading up to the end of this year, in spite of COVID and in spite of politics and in spite of elections and in spite of scandals and in spite of political and social and racial divisions, that these would be two weeks of extraordinary peace in spite of the turmoil around us. So, Father, I pray a blessing on everybody that's here and on Zoom. I pray that you would help us sort out the complexities of this topic without dismissing the realities of your your admonitions and your commands. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. 